Thank you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How's that? Is that bad for your neck? No. For those of you who don't know, I have this ongoing thing. I, I like to be in the middle of everybody. So I used to preach in the round more, and uh, so I'm used to that. So maybe about halfway up the aisle. Would you guys mind turning your, turn your chairs? No. Sorry. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, several thoughts this morning. Donna Furman is here to give you the rest of the announcements. <laughs> the scripture, oh, harmony. What's the right answer in there? Oh, Israel. Who is Israel? God's people. Who are you? I hope so. So then he's speaking to us, is he not? Uh, we know we, uh, we meddled with that a little bit, but that's some of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Before we get into the word, I wanted to take a pause because I thought it might be appropriate to explain a few things. We've been trying to rearrange the uh, worship service because for those of us who uh, work at leaning into worship and uh, trying to focus and then receive, both speak to God and then receive, we're trying to make it smooth so that uh, we go straight from singing to God and hearing scripture right into the word of God and then catch up on stuff at the end. So we disrupted that today on purpose. And the reason is, is because we're going to be, well, you see the title up there. He is there and he is not silent. God is speaking. He speaks even today. And if he, you hear his voice today, at the end, I want to give you an opportunity to seek him out. And so I didn't want to interrupt it at the end with, uh, with announcements. By the way, community activity and what's going on, like uh, this uh, email that will be coming from the, it's really because of the Zwarts who have colleagues that are in neighboring countries. So they've got colleagues in ministry that are up against it. And that's how we ended up hearing about it. And so there's a click on link if you're inclined. We're, uh, we try to avoid lots of pressure about money. You know that. Uh, we want people to be disciples. And if you're a disciple, you just honor God because it's the right thing to do. You don't need somebody to coach, coax you. Uh, I'm not inclined, as some churches, to say, uh, as the offering plate comes by, there's not enough in there. Send it around again. Really? I've heard of preachers saying, I don't want to hear any jingling. I want to see a sea of green. So you see, I'm pretty calm compared to that, and, uh, but we're trying to grow as disciples and, and make our service as, uh, as worship-focused, focused on him as possible. But part of our activities as a community is part of our worship together, and uh, even offerings we're uh, inclining down the road to uh, make an arrangement to put it in a box and uh, trust us to be disciples. Now, a couple of things. Uh, we're coming up. To, it's springtime. Can you believe it's springtime? Don't get too excited or you'll provoke another snowstorm. And I'm prophesying there will be one more. And uh, not because not I'm mean, just because I'm sensible. You know? You know, if you take, I can guarantee that there won't be snow by leaving my snow tires on. If I take them off, it'll snow. It's like washing the car. You can guarantee it'll rain. So in the spring, we have an annual meeting. Right, Glenn? Okay. Every, you, are you all okay? Did I, did I shake anybody up? Let me work at it. Um, 
so in, in the spring, we have an annual meeting, so we have a lot of decisions to make. We're a little behind on something. So we're going to have our annual meeting, and at the annual meeting, we'll introduce the subject I'm about to mention, and we will take a vote on a Sunday morning a few weeks after that. Okay, that'll be quick. Uh, that'll be easy. But Glenn, one of my uh, favorite people here who uh, has passed the reins on to Jimmy. Is Jimmy in the room? Jimmy. This is Jimmy Lucas, the chairman of our FNF. You picked the right guy. You've done a good job, passed it on to him. He's doing a great job. I got a wonderful email. What are you doing working on church stuff at 1045 at night? Good for you, man. Anyway, it's got a bunch of great questions, things that we have to process and work through. One of the things that uh, we're going to look at is adding new leaders. And that's why we're behind. I'm realizing how much we miss Jody in the office. For those of you who don't know, she had foot surgery. Can't wait for her to be back. The other day, somebody said, are you missing Jody? I went, yes. The answer is yes. So she'll be back, and we'll get our stuff together. But we want to look at, uh, and you'll see the name soon, um, an elder, deacon, deaconesses that uh, have been dialoguing with our leaders, and so we want to add to that number. That'll be a great thing, considering how far we've come from the time I got here, right? When we had no elders... And uh, we're struggling along, and now we're, we're advancing. And this is good news, amen? It's good, it's good stuff. So, Okay. And for those of you who don't think so, I'll pray for you later. Okay. So that's the annual meetings, leadership, and making sure I don't forget anything, because those of you who are visiting, you need to know I have ADD. And if I don't follow my notes, I'll be out somewhere. This morning, it's kind of a didactical message that we'll be looking. You all know what that means? Teaching, teaching, rather than, uh, you know, exhorting heavily. And I can't uh, preach very often without exhorting a little bit, okay? And so as we look into the Word, what I'm going to ask us to do is take the Scripture. If you don't have your own Bible and know your way around it, if you want to take the book in the seat packet in front of you, you can take out one of these, and I can take you right to the right page, page 1196. In case you're new at this, that'll make it easy. It's the book of Hebrews, and it's the very beginning. We've started a series, and um, this series will take us through the book of Hebrews. And I've already forewarned everyone that uh, at the rate I exegete passages of Scripture, it's going to take a few years to get through this. And you'll see why as I explain the first assignment I have for all of you. Anybody anybody here a note-taker? Any note-takers? Be brave. Show me who the note-takers are. All right, so I'm not wasting my time putting note-papers in the bulletin, right? That's a good thing. Take your note-paper and see part two, some Bible study with a U. I'm going to give you the answer, the unity of the Scripture. Just write that in and then X out the whole section because I'm not going to teach that this morning. (laughs) Last week I had an elder's wife mad at me. Angela, I won't mention any names, but she's like, she wanted the rest of the message. Well, ah, and she's like mad at me. It's like, I'm glad. I, I like to keep you on edge. But we're not, you know what? I keep hearing this word from God, less is more. And I try to pack too much information in, and therefore it's hard to digest it. So we're going to stay on the top. We're going to hit number three. One and three is our lesson today. Now you know why it's going to take so long to get through the book of Hebrews. There you go. 
Hebrews chapter 1, this is page 1196. And I don't do this all the time, but you know, some of that singing this morning was great. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. I could barely get through it. How I've proved him over and over. Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breath. Who knows that? Only his loved ones know. Those who have proved him over and over. I don't know if your Christianity is checking off things that you have to do or if it's a lively, dependent trust on the master who changes our life. But I've found him to be alive. And it changes our lives. And uh, how I've proven them over and over. And then I had the thought of that other great hymn. And I, I really love the fact you guys actually sang that hymn. Do you realize that's old stuff? Okay, I just want you to know you're outdated, all right? So you're singing that great hymn. There's another one. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than what he's already said? It's great stuff. So here's the word. And since it is the word of the living God, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of our Savior who has spoken. He is there and he is not silent. Chapter 1 of Hebrews, first four verses. Actually, I'm just going to read 1, 2, and 3a. The little a means I'm dropping off a part of the verse. If you ever see that in your reference, it means it's that part of the verse or the last part of the verse is B. So that you'll see what I mean. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. That's part A of verse 3. And all of God's people said, remain standing for prayer, please. In the great name of Jesus, we come before you, Lord, as your creation, as your redeemed people, as those who have yet to be redeemed, seekers, wanderers, wanderers. Whichever category we might be, whoever we are, the love of God has been spread out, stretched out to the human race to woo them back to yourself. We don't realize it, but we're the ones who have been running in the wrong direction. But because of your great love, you not only spoke, but you came. You invaded time and space on our behalf. And so we thank you today for being a wonderful Savior. Lord Jesus, you're the one. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus and to have you prove yourself over and over that your promises are true, that your word is true, that this is not just a whim, that our lives matter to you. Lord, I look out on a world with devastation. People, even who have been raised in the church, who don't realize their life matters and is of value to God this very moment. 
that there are better things ahead, as awful as things might be at times, as low as we've slid, we matter. Lord, I can't make that get through to anybody. You have to do it, Holy Spirit. And as we prayed earlier, as grateful as we are for the stirrings of your spirit among us and the little works of your spirit happening in people and the, the, the parts where the, the word of God is coming alive in individuals' lives, as happy as we are and as grateful as we are, Lord, we need more. We need your help. We need to see people have lights come on and say, oh my goodness, that's what it's all about. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be that light that you've called your church to be. That's why we say, uh, isn't it God's privilege, his right, his, his working to minister, O harmony, to you and to mold you into something good? Help us, mold us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. We can probably go home now. We already had church, right? That worship was awesome. And the prayer was, uh, I know, somebody thought maybe too long. He is there and he is not silent. Whenever I put an asterisk on my title, let me go back to that. Uh, Yeah, the little asterisk means I stole the name. Right? That's what it means. So, apologies to the author of the book by that very name. He is there and he is not silent by Dr. Francis Schaeffer. Um, This has been around a while. I bought it for $1.95. That tells you something, right? 1972. Yes, I know I'm a fossil. We're going to talk a lot about old things in a few minutes. But my series is about better things, because the whole book of Hebrews is talking about better things, going from good to better to best. Today, we're going to talk about good to better to best. When I was in uh, seminary working on my doctorate, it was Covenant Theological, which, by the way, is a, a Reformed seminary, very top quality, evangelical, love the Lord Put the gospel out there. If you've ever listened to some of the big names like Sproul and some of those guys that preach the gospel, uh, James Kennedy, who did Evangelism Explosion. There are these guys, the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. I wandered around on campus. There was a, a wing of ministry there called the Francis Schaeffer Institute. I went, huh, like that, huh. So I wandered around, I went into one of the dorms, and one of the dorms had an apartment set aside, and on the door name was Edith Schaefer. That's his wife, his widow. He's with the Lord. It was her room. Saved there for any time she was in the States, she would be able to stay there. Then I found out that Dr. Francis Schaefer was kind of the genius behind the development of Covenant Theological Seminary. So it was quite a little adventure. For those of you who don't know who he is, let me just read the back blurb because it's worth knowing about him. Dr. Francis Schaeffer is founder and director of Labrie Fellowship in a village of Humoz in the Swiss Alps. To this spiritual retreat have come thousands, thousands of 
questioning young men and women from many cultures, students from universities, professors, doctors, writers, pastors, engineers, musicians, painters. The variety of seekers is endless, but the answer to their quest always rests upon the same basic truth. The infinite personal God exists, and he may be known by man. Kind of a deep thinker. And he would let those strugglers, atheists, agnostics, you know the difference, right? Atheist says there's no such thing as God. I told you this is going to be a didactic morning. Take notes. An atheist says there's no God. When I talk to a person, well, I'm kind of an atheist, really. So you think God's on no, there is no God at all? Well, I don't know if there is a God. You already discounted. You're not an atheist. Make up your mind. You're an agnostic. An agnostic says, I don't know. Can't be known. Those kind of people came, and he would let them process the information he would share with them, work it through, and many, many, many people came to faith. Just an amazing ministry. So the Francis Schaeffer Institute on campus was about that. It was helping people in our culture grapple with the data. He is there, and he is not silent. Let me read just a couple of things for you, if I might. It's kind of fun. I, I kind of heartily agree. He says, basically, Christians have tended to despise the concept of philosophy. This has been one of the weaknesses of evangelical Orthodox Christianity. We have been proud in despising philosophy, and we have been exceedingly proud in despising the intellectual. Anybody ever picked up on that? I hear it all the time. It's obnoxious. They're no better than we are, but to despise people for that is wrong. And here's his point. The word philosophy, you can be a philosopher because you're in, in college or in you know, your doctoral program to learn philosophy, or you can be a philosopher because you're a live human being. The word philosophy, what's your philosophy? It's your worldview. That's your philosophy. And his point is exactly that. Philosophy also means man's worldview. In this sense, all men are philosophers, for all men have a worldview. This is just true of the man digging a ditch as it is of the philosopher in the university. We're all developing our worldview. What do you think is real outside there that I can't see? What is real in the intangible part of the universe? Huh? Is there a God? Are we found it? How do you know? How can you say absolutely there isn't? We all have the same exact problem. And his point is that there is an answer. The first reason the irrational... Listen, are we people... If we're a person, this is one of his arguments, and I'm going to park on this this morning by unpacking Scripture. I am going to get to the Bible. Just want you to know. I'm going to talk all morning about Francis Schaeffer. But here's the point. We're persons. Mankind down through the ages... Who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I a person? Why do I think certain things are right and wrong? Why can I appreciate beauty? How can, how can that be so if I'm a result of protoplasm developing by accident? How can this be true? And he makes this one little statement. The first reason, the irrational position that we just happened, cannot be held consistently in practice, is the fact that the external world is there and it has form and order. We live in a world of order. We see it every day. 
Well, the Bible speaks into that a little bit. So if I can be so bold, I'd like to park on a little theology that is a background to what we're looking at in these three verses at the opening of the book of Hebrews. Because he says clearly, God has spoken in various ways, right? Everybody, if you, have, if you want to leave your Bible open to that page, we're going to refer back to it, okay? So if, here, I'm going to pull it right out so I can keep it in front of me. He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. But in these last days, something special happened. He's spoken a number of ways. This references specifically what we would call in theology special revelation. Let me explain what I mean. You've got your uh, notes there. You have three sections to fill in. Theology about revelation. That means God revealing truth to us. One thing Hebrews is not referencing ought to be mentioned. And that is what is called general revelation. Then the next thing, somebody's been in Bible college. I see the wheels going around there, Rachel. Tick, 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 tick. Yep, good, good. Am I on so far? Am I, am I right or wrong so far? Yeah. You, you pull me out. Get the hook. Just get rid of me. All right. General revelation. That's in Romans. We'll look at that in a second. Then special revelation is when God speaks into things specifically. We'll unpack that just a little bit. Back when I was in school uh, in the 70s, okay, this is the 70s. Um, Anybody have Bible apps on their phone? Okay. I had this really cool app back in the 70s. So it's a really cool hack, you know what I mean? Called memory verse cards. Isn't that amazing? It's like so technologically cool. So I've had these since 1973, four. Had four parts of theology. Every class of theology had a bunch of papers that had to be due, and every class, there were four sections, four semesters. Every one of them had a cluster of memory verses. There's a radical idea. Memory verses. I have here, let's see, I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, I've got over 110 cards in my hand. They represent about 159 verses, about 159. Very high tech. And every subject of theology required me to memorize the appropriate verses. Now, the only reason I'm mentioning that is I'm not, this is not to brag I can still remember at least the gist of every one of these, right? Some I can quote verbatim. That's not the point. Some of us are good at memorization. Others of us are not, right? Everybody? I tried it once. Had enough. You know, try again. Even just a few. Because I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit has used what was tucked away to speak life. I'm going to tell you a great story. I told you guys once before, but I know you forgot it. If I'm wrong, I'll I'll buy you dinner. How's that? Not all of you. Whoever tells me first. I remember that. All right. General revelation. God is there and he is not silent. What Dr. Francis Schaeffer is talking about is the world that we live in gives us a clue. And the scripture says that very thing. Can I bring up a very politically incorrect verse? Am I allowed? Well, who's going to stop me, really? Well, let's do it. 
Romans chapter 1. Some of you will recognize this. I know heads are going to go up and down. Anybody remember this? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Anybody remember that? Can I just stop for a second? Because this is new to some of us. We have newer believers here. What is the wrath of God? Don't you think we should answer that first? He sounds like some petulant old man up there, you know, like, I am so fed up with these kids. It's not about having a hissy fit. Here's a simple definition of the wrath of God. Wrath is God's settled disposition against sin. God has a settled disposition against sin. Sin is damaging. Sin brings death. God doesn't like it. And he never will. And his attitude is, that's wrong, and it requires justice, judgment. That's what it's talking about. It's not about being petulant and out of control. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We're going to come back to that word suppress because that's a key. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes and eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. In other words, you can do some logic and figure out there must be a first mover. There has to be something that started this. And since I'm personal, there's got to be something personal about it. We're just not an accident. And there's a difference between man and animal and material. It's obvious to all mankind. We understand that. And so, being understood by what is seen, having been understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Oh, man, that's bad. And what we do is we suppress. The word for suppress, you know what a body check is? (laughs) Wham! Once in a while in my karate class, I get body checked. I find myself flat on my back. Bam! It's... uh, That's what the word means, to suppress, to restrain, to body check, to slam it. We push it down. Mankind, left to himself, pushes down against the truth. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's alive around us all the time. It's alive in the church. We push back against the truth because it's convicting. We don't like it necessarily, right? Suppressing the truth. Primal history. Go back to the beginnings. Man knew God better. Man wandered away from God. It's not what I got when I was in college, my secular education when I was a religious studies major, that man advanced in his concept and worked up to the brilliant idea of monotheism. That's not how it went. They knew God and wandered from him and forgot about him. And it even says in Genesis, at one point around Noah's life, men started to call upon the name of the Lord. They recognized we're out of fellowship with God. Isn't it an interesting thing that all universal religions, and by the way, my, 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 uh, my bachelor's degree was in religion. Huh. What does that mean? Hmm. <laughs> That's what's wrong with him. No, uh, all religions have four basic postulates, four basic principles involved. One, there's some kind of supreme being something. There's something out there bigger than us, number one. Two, somehow we're responsible to that something. Three, here's the bad one. 
there's something broken in that relationship. <laughs> Something's wrong. And four, payback is a bummer. It's coming. All of them, whether it's karma, your recycling event's going to be, you come back as somebody who's mean to cats, you come back as a cat in their house. Whatever the payback is, there's those four concepts. Where did it come from? It came from an original truth that we have wandered further and further and further away from. I know it's kind of fun to me. I, I like listening to people talk about the movies they've seen, and especially the ones that are about biblical characters. Anybody see um, Noah with Russell Crowe? Now, you know, I heard a lot, oh, man, what a fleet. And it is goofy. Uh, can I just... It's goofy, you know. The angels are encrusted in rock and all of that. Now everybody's going to go out and see it, you know. Right? No. Anyway, I liked it. <laughs> Can I confess? I liked it. It was unbiblical. I mean, it wasn't sound. But one of the things I love is people trying to wrestle with what was it like back there in that primordial time? And it was fascinating because Noah, who, by the way, I think Russell Crowe made a pretty cool Noah. I, mean, I think he was okay. Um, he was trying to protect his family from man. Those who had wandered far away from the creator. That's the language throughout the movie, right? And uh, he's, he's, he's trying to protect them. And man has become very evil, just like the Bible described. And they're murderous and thieving and everything else. And one of the characters who's the most belligerent, and he's the leader of the evil side, says, where is he? He made us. He made us to rule. We can create and we can rule, and that's what we were made to do. He's half right. We were made to be like God in terms of creativity, not to do evil, but to do good. But it was fascinating to see where would man wander out by himself without a clear, clear word. That's what happened. So I kind of liked it. I was telling my wife about that. She's not convinced yet. So these inclinations to suppress the truth, hold it down, is a result of a theological concept that uh, uh, Mr. Strait and I have had a number of intense discussions about. It's been a lot of fun, actually. And on your, on your bulletin, see the TD? See TD? That's not touchdown. That actually needs to go up above Romans 8. TD is a word, the word total depravity. Have you ever heard of that? total depravity. People get it wrong. I have shared this one other time, but just to refresh, and for those who haven't heard it, total depravity is, is, a, is a biblical, it's a theological description of a biblical condition. Human beings have this infection called sin. Yeah. And, and we think, oh, what's a sin? Specific actions. No, sin is a quality that has infected our inner being. And the reason it's called total depravity, we think, yes, human be I mean, doesn't it mess you up? Doesn't reality ever mess up your theology? Do you ever have reality mess up your theology? You guys don't get out much, do you? <laughs> right? Doesn't it happen? Oh, this says that the Bible says that man is the worst possible. He's terrible. He's rotten. He's totally depraved. <laughs> 
And we get the idea that that means he's awful all the time. He's the most rotten thing on the planet. That's not what it means. Total depravity means the total man, the total woman, the person completely has been tainted by sin. He's been affected. He's been affected. You guys that have been through some physical struggles, right? You know, certain part of your body has been affected by something, right? That's what it's saying. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're the most nasty. I've seen some pretty wonderful people who do not believe in Jesus at all. They can be, behave quite lovingly, quite nobly. Sometimes they put Christians to shame. Because it doesn't mean that the, the image of God in man has been eradicated. It means it's been fractured. Like looking in a mirror, punch the mirror, puts a crack. You ever see what you look like when that happens? Yeah, I can still see it's me, but there's a crack in it. Total depravity means my mind, even my brilliant thinking, brilliant as I am, which isn't so brilliant, but anyway, as brilliant as I may be, the infection of sin affects my thought process so I make bad decisions. Brilliant people making terrible decisions, irrational, immoral decisions. My emotions are affected by depravity. So I get manipulated by them. Anybody ever had that happen to you? You get me, oh, Pastor John, it's so bad. Oh, yo, you poor thing. Then they took my money. Holy cow, what happened? <laughs> you, get emo- you get manipulated. You, you, your emotions are fractured. And we feel, I feel so strongly I need to do this, but it's wrong. No, but I feel I must. Or my will. That's what makes us a person. Intellect, will, and emotion. It's a person. My whole total personhood has been affected by depravity. Everybody get it? That's what that means. So I have to keep an eye on my brilliance. I have to keep an eye on my such right emotions that I feel, my feelings. I have to keep an eye on my choices because I can get duped. All right. Has anything there not been clear? So that's what that means. Some of us think, oh, man, how can, you know, here I got it. Uh, 159 memory verses, you'll be the best Christian and soul winner in all of Orange County. All you have to do is come borrow this from me. No, you don't. Can I tell you a story? Thank you. Nobody else really wants to hear anything. They're ready to leave, I think. But anyway, um, I'm, on, I'm, I'm, I'm in seminary. I'm a brand new buck. You know, I'm, I'm just full of myself and... Rough around the edge, very rough around the edges, right, honey? Rough. And um, I, I, I have been in my first theology class, and the very first verses I had to memorize what, what I just read to you. That's all I knew. Wrath of God is revealed from heaven. For what can be known about God, you know, is evident to them. And the next page, too, chapter 2, 14 and 15. When the Gentiles who don't have the law, non-Jews, they don't have any scripture. When they do by nature what's written in the law, they're proving that the law of God's been written in their heart. That there's a conscience that we know right and wrong. Every culture knows right and wrong of some sort. So I have a fellow security. I'm working security, armed security for the hospitals. And I get the chance to interact with this wonderful guy. I remember his last name was Chamberlain. I still can remember that. And we're talking. That's all I knew. 
was general revelation. So I told it to him. He goes, that makes sense. I led him to Christ right there. I didn't, I didn't know you got to ask Jesus in your heart. I didn't know nothing. How fun is that? Right? Isn't that fun? Thank you. <laughs> yes, it was. And it was like, I didn't know anything. God will use us if whatever we have, we make available to him. Isn't that what we were singing about this morning? It's not about us. It's not about how brilliant we are. It's not about how much stuff we can shovel on people. The Holy Spirit had to be at work. I, I never forget that. I was like, what? That's not supposed to happen. I need to know all those verses first, you know. That no, was great. Special revelation. God then, that's good. The fact that God has spoken in the heavens and all of that is good. It's a good thing, but it doesn't work totally. It's not enough to know what does it mean to be in a relation with God that saves me. So God had to give us something better, and that is called special revelation. Whether it was angelic visitations, whether it was miracles, whether it was prophetic words, prophets speaking, all of that. Eventually, it worked up to what we know as the Jewish Bible, the law, the prophets, and the writings, right? The Torah, the Ketuvim, and the Naviim. That's the word for prophet in Hebrew, the Navi. My Hebrew professor used to say, I'm in the Lord's Navi. Oh, you guys, you're, you're just bad. You're just bad today. Okay. I'm in the Lord's Navi. Don't you remember that? I'm in the Lord's army. Oh, my. Okay. So, anyway, sometimes at home when I was talking to my kids, I would just give up, walk over to the wall and say, So, anyway, that's what it was about. <laughs> <laughs> then they would pay attention to us when I do that. Oh, my. The ultimate deliverance happens. Uh, God is revealing himself to people. Abraham, he's revealing himself to Noah. Abraham, go down the line. Eventually, the greatest prophet ever to come on the scene is... Come on, they made a movie about him. Moses, human prophet. That's the big one, Moses. He receives the law. I've got a passage of scripture. It's just an example. PJ, there is a question in the crowd. I didn't see it. What? Steve Avilas, are you at it again? No, I love it. Ah. Uh. It's a great question. Can I? No, it does, but, but we can't unpack it today because it's huge, Tom, huge. Steve, not Tom, Steve, huge. Used to be an ad up north. This sale is huge, Tom, huge. Come in right now. I can't stand it. I'm so excited. The sale is huge. It's huge. It's a huge question, right? It really is. It's the ultimate question that challenges Christianity ever. All the other ones don't. That one does. Really, they don't. Oh, how can God raise the dead? If he's creator, what's the big deal? Come on. I mean, this is dumb questions. Not really. There's no such thing as a dumb question. You know what I'm saying? But the problem of evil is huge. That's the question. The problem of evil. Why? Short form, you can be a robot or you can be a free agent. From there, figure the rest out. Right? It follows. We'll follow up on that sometime. But that's a big question, right? Very big question. So God 
is communicating. He's there and he is not silent. His communication in, in nature and all that was made, the universe, the clockwork of the universe, all of that testifies to him. His providing of seasons and food and all of that testifies to his goodness. Man should figure that out. Man should seek God. God gives us a little hint that they shall surely find me if they search for me with all their heart. And we could tell stories about mission groups that would have never heard the gospel if he hadn't interfered because people were seeking. But left to ourselves, we're not inclined that way. We like to suppress the truth or resist it and say it doesn't apply to me. But God began to speak very clearly. He delivers the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt, and he gives them the law. And in that process, this account, I love this little story here. I just read it again as I'm going from Genesis through, now I'm finishing Exodus. It came about whenever Moses entered the tent. Now, this is not the tabernacle that was built. This was the tent he put up outside because he needed a place to meet with God rather than climbing up to the top of Sinai all the time. That gets old. He entered the tent. The pillar of cloud would descend. Can you imagine this? Isn't that awesome? I'm going to the tent, everybody. And here's what happened. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance, they would rise up. They'd come to their, ent their entrance of their tent, and they would worship. Wow. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And eventually, he gives him the law. And so they have the extended law. They have the symbolic short form, the ten words, the ten commandments on tablets of stone, all of that. You guys know about it. The law was better. It wasn't trying to figure it out. It's here, clear in black and white. This is what God says is good. This is right and this is wrong. Now listen to this. We gotta, I'm parking on total depravity day on purpose. Here's what Paul says in Romans 7. I'm just reading this to you, and we're not going to that one yet. I've got to hold that back there. Thank you, Ryan. This commandment, which was to result in life. Wait a minute. Let me say that again. This commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. It sounds like he's blaming sin like it ain't him. No, he's not. He's just saying, this is how broken we are. So then, you got to get this, tight. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Everybody with that? Sometimes we read and we go, oh, the law was a problem. No, no, we're the problem, not the law. I see the law and I go, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. Hmm, sure sounds like fun, though. <laughs> right? My, I've told you before, my uncle had the, it, it really was a hard assignment, but I make jokes about it. He was assigned to Hawaii, you know. It's like, oh, it's hard to suffer for Jesus, you know. So he's over there ministering to down-and-out folks in some of the backside sections of Hawaii. And once in a while, they would have a tsunami. You know what a tsunami is? A tidal wave. And they had warning signals, and it was very clear what was supposed to happen. When you hear these sirens, you need to go inland because it's probably going to wipe out a couple of blocks along shoreline or whatever you got there. And he would tell me the stories of how the 
warning would go off, there's a tsunami coming, it's got this rating or whatever, and people would go down to the shore. Let's see this marvelous event that's about to occur. Really, this is a true story. The problem was not with the law. The problem was not with the sirens or the warning system or understanding English. That was not the problem. What was the problem? It doesn't apply to me. I can suppress this truth and I'm going to somehow live through it. And they didn't. Tragically. See, that is, that's an illustration of who we are. We're broken. And we want to suppress the truth. Depravity resists, suppresses. General revelation, the law of God, the stories of the miracles, whatever he says, the gospel. But thanks be to God, better things are coming. General revelation was good. The law was better. Thank God he didn't leave us at better. He gave us best. Right? In these last days, he has spoken through Jesus himself incarnate in the world. And look what he did for us. Now it's time for Romans chapter 8. Great passage of scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If anybody's sitting in the room today and they're like, I may be guilty of some stuff, and you haven't shaken free from shame or guilt or whatever. See, that's the stuff that nags us. Although today... uh, What is wrong is largely ignored. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now here's the phrase. Here's the the big one. For what the law could not do. Because the law was bad? No. What the law couldn't do because it was holy and perfect and we're messed up. God did. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. The flesh is a reference to that total depravity, to that sin nature. That's what it's talking about, the flesh. That's why so much of the New Testament talks about crucifying your flesh, friends. Oh, now now my my ADD wants to go somewhere. Wait, let me finish this. God did it, sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, not sinful, but in the likeness of us. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that, here's the blessed good news, this is what's better, the, we who do not walk according to the flesh, the requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us. What does God want? He wants holy living. He wants us to live in fellowship with him. You can do that. Can you imagine such a thing? I can. The requirement of the law, holy living, enjoying God, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The problem in so many churches, I was with some fine people this last week, and we were talking about how we've lost two generations of people out of the church, right here, and the church, the church in the whole community. Why? Because we've never chosen to walk in the spirit, to put the flesh to death. The version of Christianity that we're giving people is critical, nasty, cranky, Scroogean. We're missing it. 
the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, the incarnation of Jesus is the best kind of speaking you could possibly get. Because first of all, he's made it possible for us to be in this relationship that we read about here. And we'll talk about that because it's in the next few verses, but not today. So that's awesome. And he also was here so we could see him. He's the reflection of God. It says so right in that opening passage. Want to know how to live? Look at him. Want to know how to speak? Listen to him. I want to have the heart that God has in him. I want to get that. And, and really, the Christian life is nothing less than a complete, lifelong journey of getting that together, which you never will get totally together. So don't tell me, oh, well, then what's the use? Why start? Because when you start and you get on the journey, it's infinitely better than what you had before. It's better, it's good, better, and best if I'm walking in it. Jesus came into the world to rescue you. Long time ago. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus came into the world to rescue me. Thank you. Me. Everyone in the room, say me. me. You're so obedient. I like that. <laughs> rescue me. We went on a mission trip. See, I told you I'm going to talk about a lot of old stuff today. You know, I've got my antique uh, application from my phone here. And I'm going back to the 70s. It was uh, 70. Five, we went to Japan on a short-term mission trip, and I had the privilege of sharing my testimony in English speaking, you know, teaching English classes, that kind of thing. And um, I interacted with this young man. He came up to me, and this, you want to talk about God setting the trap. It was awesome. He goes, well, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm telling you, unless God comes down from up there, down to here, I, I'm not going to believe. And I went, oh, funny you should say that. Because that's exactly what he did. Oh, you want a personal visit? Well, aren't you important? But the fact is, he's done that. And the whole point of the opening of Hebrews is, don't expect more. You've gotten the final word. If he's not good enough, nobody's good enough. Nothing's good enough. You either come, Jesus said it, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the final word. We've had general revelation. We've had specific revelation. We've had angels come down on Sinai, smoke and earthquakes and all kinds of drama to get your attention. Not good enough? Okay, here we go. I'm showing up. And you still won't listen. The best. God in the flesh. The Son, second person of the triune Godhead, invaded time and space on our behalf. Better things, the best. Creator, sustainer, full revealer of God, one with God. Why doesn't God tell us what he wants us to do? Isn't that what we're saying, right? Why doesn't he tell us? And Christians say that to me. Why doesn't he tell me? He's already spoken loudly. And what does his son say to us? <clears throat> well, before I say what he says, well, I'm going to leave it at that. Good enough. You know what the problem is with the tidal wave people? They think this doesn't apply to me. 
I'm special. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm special. Right? I'm going to survive. I'm going to be able to watch this. I'm going to be okay. Had the same thing in Tucson. I used to talk about this, where the waters would flood the arroyos. They had signs, do not enter if there's water in the arroyo. Every year somebody gets killed. Why? Because my SUV is better than everybody else's. My tires are better than everybody I'm a better driver than everybody else. I can get away with it. It's only this then, and I'm smart. I know. Every time. Because it doesn't apply to me. Are you sure you believe in the sun? Here's what the son says. He says things like, be born again. Anyone who drinks from the well I give him will never thirst again. Man, are we tapping into that? I don't, I think a lot of us miss it. Here's one of the things he said. This is the will of my father. This is uh, John chapter 6, verse 40. I think it's right at the end there, Ryan. If we can put that up. This is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son, the best, and believes in him may have what? And I myself, just in case you don't get what that means, I will raise him up on the last day. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Do you believe him? Really? Has he spoken? Has he spoken to you? Do you know that he's spoken to you? Have you settled the issue that I know I'm in that crowd that's going to get raised up on the last day? That I have eternal life. Not in the future. I have it now. It's what transforms us. So I'm going to close in prayer. And I am going to invite anyone who is wondering, I'm not totally sure. If you're thinking, I'm not sure about that, then don't put it off. Nobody's going to twist your arm and force you to become a Christian. That doesn't work. Only God can bring you into his family. But ask the questions and find out where you're at. So I'm going to invite you as I close in prayer to come up. rest of us, as we visit, please move toward the back. So if anyone needs to talk, we have some space to minister the gospel to anyone who's wondering where they're at with this wonderful best of best Savior that we have who God has spoken through to us. Let's pray. Can we stand together? I'm grateful, God, that you have not left us in the dark. How many, many, many times, Jesus, I've proved you over and over, and your word has rescued me and others and ministered and changed things, and we're grateful. Thank you for not leaving us wondering. And, uh, Lord, our desire is not only to be those who respond to that good word, but that we spread it to others who are wondering, here and even abroad. That's the call on the church. And so make us healthy. Make us uh, reproductive in the gospel. And we'll thank you for helping us. And in the name of Jesus, we pray for those who uh, are wondering where they're at with this wonderful relationship with the greatest being who ever walked on the planet, God in the flesh, that, Lord, your spirit would move them into your family today. In the name of Jesus, we ask this, and all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We're up here to talk, staff, pastors, elders.